0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash
1: party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet, with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus.
0: Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank you all for joining us today. I'm very glad that you're listening. We've got another wonderful program for you, and I know that you're going to get uh, a lot of inspiration and some new ideas and some deep insights from this uh, program today. I want to thank you also for uh, liking Spirit of Recovery on Facebook and thank you for posting your comments on the Spirit of Recovery uh, page and for sending emails and letting us know how you're doing in your recovery and your spirituality walk. It's just great to know that what's going on for you is really positive and that what's happening here on Spirit of Recovery is making a difference for you. I want to thank you also for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your Unity community, your family, your friends, your other spiritual communities, know about us here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. And again, it's great to know that what we're doing uh, here, that the guests that we're bringing you are really touching your heart and opening your mind up to some new possibilities and some uh, greater experiences of in-depth healing. Every week we do talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable and innovative, with people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people. And uh, my guests are always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You know, you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen live via your computer or via your smartphone. You can go to stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. Um, You can also listen on demand. We've got lots of great uh, podcasts, and you can go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery and find lots of great topics that you can listen to at your leisure. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place so that if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, um, if you're a family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, whatever your situation, maybe you're just curious about recovery, about all this, what goes on about it, and we're glad you're here. You're really welcome to be here, and you're welcome to participate if you have a comment or question. If for my guest, if you want to call in or email in, we're just happy to have you participate. I want you to know also that if you enjoy Spirit of Recovery and any of the other great programs on this nonprofit radio station, unityonlineradio.org, you are welcome if you choose to make a financial donation. You can donate uh, one time or make an ongoing donation to Unity Radio or text unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone, and you too can make a difference in uh, making sure that this programming on unityonlineradio.org continues. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and also an addictions counselor. I'm also a person um, who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And over, th- actually, this month, May, Of 2016, 35 years ago, those relationships were a catalyst that got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development as a family member and friend of people that have the disease of addiction. And I am so grateful. I'm so grateful because it's uh, changed my life and it has uh, enriched me and my walk continues to be an integration of unity principles and recovery principles and that keeps bringing me into deeper awareness of myself and of my relationship with the spiritual uh, essence of this incredible universe that we live in. Today, uh, our topic is the Soldier's Heart Model of Transformation. And my special guest is Edward Tick, PhD, and he and his wife, Kate Dalstedt, who was my guest last week, have co-founded and together and developed this model of transformation called the soldier's heart. And it's a wonderful model. Last week, uh, Kate Dahlstedt was talking with us about how this is applied to families of people who are in the military, people who um, uh, are working with their own being affected by their loved one's uh, presence in the military and by their experience in uh, combat. And she and so today we have um, Edward Tick, Kate's husband, who is going to share with us some more about this and his work directly with veterans themselves? Ed is the author of uh, a wonderful, amazing book, War in the Soul, which really gives an incredible uh, perspective on. What the warrior's experience is all about, and how it is that that uh, is all of us in in our country and as communities and as families are really a part of all of this. And his book really reveals that and talks about um, how healing happens and what it is uh, to to turn from the or transform from becoming um, a veteran into a spiritual warrior. Edward has worked with veterans for over 30 years, and he and his wife, Kate, co-lead powerful healing workshops for military veterans, for their families, and for healing professionals. And in these workshops, they integrate psychological, spiritual, and relational approaches that address the whole person and the fabric of the larger community. Dr. Tick and his wife, Kate Dalsted, also lead journeys of healing and reconciliation to Vietnam and to Greece. And today he's going to be sharing with us how the power of spiritual healing does help veterans recover and build a transformed sense of self, shrink the effects of trauma, and restore the wounded dimensions of soul and world. Dr. Tick uh, did present a PTSD healing workshop at Unity Village in March of this year. And um, you can learn more about his work if you go to soldiersheart.net. And uh, welcome, Ed. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery.
3: Well, thank you very much, Reverend Anna, and thank you for that very generous and comprehensive introduction.
0: You're welcome. I, w-
3: I was afraid oh. I was going to be listening to you about me this entire time, and we don't want that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. but, We're no. both in
3: service. It's not about us, of course.
0: For sure. Yeah, and uh, as I said, I uh, just had the opportunity to hear you speak uh, in person several years ago in Olympia, Washington at Evergreen State College when there was actually a community workshop and the college there was bringing people together to think about um, how to support students that were veterans. And it was just a powerful workshop. And when I heard you, it it really, I was really touched by your understanding of the importance of community and how it is as community members were all involved and um, need to open up to ways to, to really be supportive to our uh, friends and family members and our fellow citizens that are in the military. So thank you very much, truly, for the work that you're doing. Very, uh, great. Yes,
3: you've, you're very welcome. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. just so pleased and honored to serve in this way and that I've been able to make some significant contribution. Uh, yes. We both know that people who have survived violent trauma of any kind, military and warfare or any other kind of violence, um, they really pay the greatest price and they suffer terribly and the, the wounds go on and on and do pierce their souls and spirits. So um, this work is of utmost importance and, of course, with modern politics, as There are wars all over the country, and our and our own country seems to be an endless war. These matters uh, become more and more important, and we have to be talking about them this way. And we all do, not just the people serving.
0: Right. It's yeah. It's it's we're all involved. You know, really, we absolutely. And it's uh, as you say, it it's it's an impact on. Everyone, an impact on our country and impact on us in communities. Tell yes, us- and in, go ahead.
3: Well, uh, in so many ways, uh, we can start, uh, since you rightly framed uh, our discussion of beginning with the importance of community, we can start right there. Uh, okay. Throughout history, warriors and their social group, their tribe, their community, their nation, have had and must have. A social contract that includes everyone, where their duties to are uh, to each other are exchanged. So, during and this is not an, the American uh, an American issue. This is a universal issue. During times of threat, attack, invasion. Uh, it is necessary and proper for warriors to make a circle of protection around their community. And, of course, in ancient times, those used to be small communities. Fifty warriors might surround their village of 200 people. Now, that belief has extended such that we in America send troops all over the country and we surround the country. And, in fact, we have military in about 150 nations of this planet. So we are literally surrounding the world with our military. Now, um, when warriors go out on the edge to protect the rest of us, first of all, they're supposed to do it only for the most moral and spiritual reasons, only if there's absolutely no other choice, and and as the Bible says, we are allowed to fight and kill if we have to in self-defense. Now, whether or not Any of us individually believes that that tends to be um, an established traditional belief that humanity carries, that we're allowed to defend ourselves if, if somebody's trying to kill our children and blow up our schools. Well... Uh, warriors need to believe in the cause for which they're fighting, and they need to be profoundly and really exclusively defensive. We're not using our warriors that way. But in traditional cultures, when warriors surrounded the villages uh, and protected the people, after the threat was over and the warriors came home, then, in fact, the villagers, the civilians, surrounded the warriors and gave them everything they needed for for healing, tending, and recovery. So when there's threat, it's the warriors who surround us, and when the threat's over and our warriors come home tired and wounded, we are supposed to surround them. And if that exchange doesn't happen, uh, we we will have what we today call post-traumatic stress disorder. So many troops and veterans over the decades I've worked with them have reported to me that their worst trauma was not in the combat zone, as horrible as combat is. But they expected it to be horrible and painful and difficult. Their worst trauma was when they came home. And they were, well, after Vietnam, of course, they were maligned, spit on, uh, abused, um, and that was severe. But that's, uh, but after almost all of our wars, in fact, after World War II, as well, even though there was so much, there were ticker tape parades and there was the big GI Bill. There wasn't the proper care and tending that warriors need to get from their society after service. And today, we don't give it either. Um, the, uh, troops are brought home very quickly. They're discharged very quickly with minimal um, leave-taking, and minimal preparation, and then they go right back into their communities with the war poisons and energies still raging in them, and the communities don't surround them and protect them and give all of the communal and spiritual uh, gifts and tools that traditional societies gave their warriors. So the the, uh, rupture between the community and the warrior is one of the sources of the traumatic wound. And we are neglecting our warriors terribly in the way we bring them home. And so, this is one reason that I translate the acronym PTSD, not just as post traumatic stress disorder, we've all heard that, but it's also post traumatic social disorder. It's hmm. a social disorder because the warriors and civilians are not tending each other the way is absolutely necessary to happen uh, in order to re- heal from. Combat and reduce the trauma. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, as you're talking about this, so one thing that I'm I'm very aware of, and I don't have statistics. You may or may not, but I know that uh, that addictive disorders can certainly be a part of this. And and yes. you know, addictive disorders are complex, and and a part of that is a disruption in the in the social fabric in in a variety of ways. It's sort of a chicken and the egg thing. It's a both and thing.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: How um, how does substance disorders or as or addiction disorders play a part in this post-traumatic stress and social disorder or problem? Okay. Uh,
3: well, to begin with, you're absolutely right that addictive disorders are part and parcel with the military experience and aftermath, and that's there are very many reasons for that. Uh, first of all, we do realize that um, military service and combat are so demanding that young people, not only young people, but especially, uh, will turn toward both legal and illegal substances to tolerate it. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: Now, uh, so we need to expect that they will go after alcohol and various forms of drugs and pharmaceuticals uh, when they're under such extreme duress. In addition to that, our military today is using pharmaceuticals to an epidemic degree to keep the soldiers functioning. So we all have heard of the phrase, the military industrial complex that President Eisenhower uh, taught us in his farewell speech when he retired from the presidency. Well, he actually, Eisenhower actually had written military industrial government complex, but his advisors made him take out the word government. But today, it's not only military, industrial government, it's also corporate, and it's also the pharmaceutical industry. They are making billions of dollars of profits um, marketing to the military, and the military is using every form of drug – Uh, variations of speed to get people uh, to charge people up for their missions and medications to put them to sleep and medications to wind them up and medications to calm them down and medications uh, they're actually experimenting with medications that um, wipe out our moral sensibility to try to make more effective killers who won't question what they're doing so (laughs) Part of the addictive problem that we don't talk about enough is the overuse of medications by the military and then afterwards, of course, by the VA system, giving out billions of pills a year to all of our veterans as if that were going to heal their post-traumatic stress disorder and their other issues, and it doesn't heal. Mm -hmm. So some of the addictive problem with the military is that our military and veteran systems actually create Uh, and encourage the use of addictive substances and create addicts out of our young people. Mm -hmm. In addition to all that, tragically, of course, very many people uh, turn to alcohol and drug abuse um, after the military to try to cope with their problems. And so uh, alcoholism and illegal drug use is two to three times higher in the veteran population than it is in the civilian population.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, all
3: share. that being said, I, we also need to recognize that some veterans are trying to self-medicate in actually in ways that might be uh, – I hope I'm allowed to say this on the air, but this is true, that some yes, self-medication is better for uh, 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 for the veteran than the pharmaceuticals that are um, – that are prescribed so in states where for example medical marijuana is legal it's being used very effectively for post-traumatic stress disorder and veterans on much more um, difficult demanding uh, disruptive pharmaceuticals they're, they're weaning off that and using medical marijuana instead in states where it's not legal of course Alcohol use and marijuana and other drug use is very high among veterans. But some veterans also do, even where it's illegal, choose to self-medicate with marijuana uh, rather than some of the prescription drugs that the VA gives them. So it's a huge problem. It's massive in the veteran population, far more than the civilian population. And the military is con- and Veterans Administration is significantly contributing to the problem. Uh, and I just want to leave in that um, that opening that some of the illegal drugs might be helpful and we have to really be careful about that and research that and support our veterans in getting the best kind of help. Um, and and sometimes that does include some use of drugs.
0: Right. Yeah, and you're right. There is some um, research, as you already said, I- uh, being done about the use of medical marijuana for um, for the PTSD that some people, are, some practitioners, or there's legal research being done about that.
3: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. It's time for our break. Um, thank you so much, Ed, for what you're sharing with us, you know, really opening up um, our minds, opening up our eyes, and opening us up to um, some things that are really problematic and and sharing with us how that we might begin to look at that and and create solutions. And obviously, you and your wife, Kate, are really doing that. So, listeners, stay with us. My guest today is Edward Tick, Ph.D. We're talking about the Soldier's Heart Model of Transformation. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
2: Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever.
0: Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. And our topic today is the Soldier's Heart Model of Transformation. My guest is Dr. Edward Tick. He is the co-founder with his wife, Kate Dalsted of Soldier's Heart. And he's the author of the book, War and the Soul, and also the book, Warrior's Return. And he and his wife, uh, Kate, do lots of work with uh, veterans and military families to bring them into a deep healing of the soul and the spirit. So before we get back to our conversation, I invite you to join me for a brief moment of meditation for the serenity minute. I invite you to relax, to feel that presence of God, that peacefulness as you relax from the crown of your head all the way through your body temple and feel relaxation as it's moving all the way through you, letting go and letting God being present in this moment. I invite you to share with me this constructive idea. I am open to the healing power of my higher power. I am open to the healing power of spirit. And we relax for a moment in the quiet. joining me in the Serenity Minute, and I trust that this was an opportunity for you to open up your mind and heart, to relax, to let go, and get in touch with that presence of spirit that's within you and all around you. So now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Edward Tick, and we're talking about the Soldier's Heart Model of Transformation. So, Ed, I know that your work is Really focusing on the soul and on the spirit and, um, supporting veterans and, and opening up to, uh, some deep places in themselves for healing and almost like a reclamation almost of, of identity, a reclamation of spirituality. So tell us about that. How does that work? How, how does that work? Sure. I'd
3: be happy to and, uh, It's a very important direction for us to go. And the only thing I would correct about in your question would be to take out the words almost.
4: Okay. (laughs) Uh, All right.
3: Okay. Because, yes, very much our um, philosophy, our approach, our practices are uh, rooted in spirituality, and they are exactly what you said, that we are working with our warriors, our veterans, to help them enlarge their identity from being a veteran or a disabled veteran, uh, if they are suffering and so labeled, to grow into spiritual warriors, elder warriors. Becoming a warrior throughout history for most men and for some women uh, in some of the cultures, uh, becoming a warrior was a rite of passage into becoming an, uh, an adult, and the warriors were meant to keep serving the entire life cycle. They didn't just serve in traditional cultures. They didn't just serve uh, for a couple of years and then retire and become civilians. But um, our Marines say once a Marine, always a Marine. And it's true for all warriors. Once a warrior, always a warrior. Military service is so impactful and overwhelming. It really does take apart the civilian identity and replace it with a modern American version of the warrior identity. Now, that's not a complete spiritual warrior identity, but it's certainly different than a civilian. And after a person has been in the military, they can't just become a civilian again. That will too often lead to post-traumatic stress disorder uh, and terrible identity confusion. And so many, as we know, veterans going into hiding, not telling their stories, not identifying themselves in public as veterans. They don't know what being a veteran is supposed to mean. In traditional cultures, being a warrior was for life, but as warriors got older, they taught the young, they took care of the poor, they were the, the police officers in their home villages, uh, and we have very very high percentage of veterans serving in our all of our first responder um, roles: policemen, firemen and women, um, conservation officers, first res- uh, EMTs. Uh, emergency workers are are overloaded with veterans because they're looking to continue as warriors and because those are among the very few jobs that are continuous with their service. So we do want to nurture an older elder warrior identity and uh, we do very much in uh, in our retreats and in our work to to achieve this. As you mentioned, one of my books is uh, called War and the Soul. And it was a breakthrough book in the trauma field because it was the first book to look at what we could call warrior spirituality um, very seriously and in our uh, modern context. Earlier I said I uh, translate PTSD as post-traumatic social disorder. Well, I also translated it as post-traumatic soul distress, soul distress. Now, this wound has been known since ancient times. It's recorded in the Bible. It's recorded in ancient Greek and Roman writings. It, uh, traditional cultures around the world have known of this wound. And we know of more than 80 different names it's had since ancient times. Many of the names it had indicated that it was a spiritual wound or some kind of wound to the soul or loss of the soul. So, for example, in the Bible... Both King David and King Saul had this wound, and in my book, Warrior's Return, I did what we would call case studies of them from um, all the, from the biblical records to demonstrate they had rages, they killed people they were close to, they turned against their families, there was incest in their families, they killed priests, they committed atrocities on the battlefield. There's so many examples of their PTSD. But what the Bible called it was, uh, in the case of King Saul, the Bible says several times, the spirit of God left him, and an mm-hmm. evil spirit sent by the Lord entered him. Mm-hmm. So they fully saw it as a spiritual wound. And uh, the, re- the emptying of good divine spirit and the uh, entering uh, uh, because of combat and trauma of uh, evil spirits. Um, Jumping to our continent, the Sioux, the Lakota people, called this wound, uh, in their language, which means the spirits left, the spirits left. They considered what we call post-traumatic stress disorder to be uh, a person who was emptied of spirit because of the horrors of the trauma they experienced. And so the healing for them, for their warriors, was to be spiritually restored. And they had many, many beautiful and complex rituals and other practices for restoring spirit. And we take these lessons from these cultures and many others, and we make them relevant to today's military and veterans and the American way of life. But we use this primary interpretation that the soul has been wounded, confused, lost. We are full of spiritual wounds from severe military and violent trauma. Uh, there is moral injury that has become a concept in recent years, but there's also fall from grace, lost innocence, lost trust in the universe, the shattering of our belief systems. All of these are deep spiritual wounds that are go down to the core of our being. When we call... Uh, the wound just post-traumatic stress disorder and in the modern interpretation say it's brain chemistry and we can give pills to correct that we are taking we're we're missing the whole person and we're missing our spiritual essence we are body, mind heart and spirit and we live in community and we need transcendent meaning and all of those are part of our being and need to be addressed so in our soldier's heart model we work uh, quite extensively We always have civilians present pending the warriors to help heal that social disorder and also educate the civilians, change the civilians into understanding, developing compassion for and being in unity with our warriors. And we do very many different uh, spiritual teachings and practices that we've learned from traditions all over the world uh, that benefit warriors and help bring uh, that spiritual restoration to them, and as we said, enlarge the identity. As a warrior grows and embraces, uh, and you know, when we're talking about recovery, it's so similar to the serenity prayer. It's mm-hmm. uh, quite relevant for um, our veterans and warriors, as for anybody in recovery, that we have to say yes to our. History. We have to make amends for it. We have to take our moral inventory. We have to um, dedicate ourselves to good works. We have to constantly appeal to and invoke the higher power. And in fact, war wounds are so severe that uh, I actually believe that there is no full healing and recovery from them unless we. Appeal to spirit and have spiritual help as well as help from each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do have many practices in our retreats that help restore spirit. And I can talk about uh, those specifically if you'd like as well.
0: Sure. Yeah. Give us an idea of what, what a retreat is like and, and how long it lasts and uh, that who comes. And, I mean, what type, you know, how long people have been out of military or whatever.
3: Okay, um, well, um, our retreats are open to everyone who has any kind of military connection and, and as I said, including just concerned citizens who want to understand our warriors and care for them and We have active duty people come to retreats, so you don't have to be out of the military mm-hmm. uh, we've had We have people come um, who are still active and who are between deployments, so we've also used our retreats for helping. Strengthen some of our troops spiritually for a coming deployment, as well as healing from past ones. Now, uh, we have, as I said, we studied the warrior traditions of the world, and not only studied them, but practiced them, because we go to Vietnam every year. I've led 15 journeys back to Vietnam, once every year since 2000, and our 16th journey will be this December if anyone is interested. And they're not just for Vietnam veterans, Uh, but Iraq and Afghanistan veterans have come and family members and peace activists and spiritual pilgrims. Uh, So our retreats can be anything from, you know, a one-day mini-retreat. We do that sometimes. Most of our retreats are four days, a long weekend, like a Thursday through Sunday, and that's what we had the the honor of doing uh, at Unity Village. Uh, And then we have sometimes longer retreats, five or six days, and we, when we lead overseas journeys to Vietnam or to Greece, we're on the road for usually uh, two, or two to three weeks. And so we are living together and traveling together and practicing uh, the, the spiritual di- traditions of our host cultures uh, as we travel. But let me give a snapshot of the four-day retreat Cause, uh, and a small snapshot of our big model. What we found in, in study and practice all over the world and what I'm sharing is that many cultures throughout history have had really wise and comprehensive ways for healing their warriors, bringing them home after combat. And again, this goes back into, to ancient times and it's also much of it is in the Bible as well. So, for example... Uh, Moses commanded that all Israelite soldiers when they returned from battle needed to be in isolation for a full week before they could return to their villages and their homes. And during that week Moses declared they need to purify with fire and water. So there were two principles in this Mosaic teaching that's 3,000 years old. One principle is Isolation and tending is necessary after combat before you go home. You don't bring people home immediately and let them go home to their homes and families because the combat energy, the, the rage is still alive and kicking in them, and they'll bring that home. That has to be dissipated before they go home. But today, we release people almost immediately, and they go right home, and then we have domestic violence and child abuse and sexual acting out and abuse and substance abuse in epidemic proportions. So we need that mosaic dictate of rest a while before you go home. And in, in ancient times and in traditional cultures, it was after every battle that you went through isolation and purification, not after a year's deployment. And then the second principle there is purification that um, the elders and the spiritual teachers all held and taught that those energies that are awakened in the military and in combat have to be purified and cleansed and released before anybody goes home or else they will be harmful to the troop, harmful to the veteran, harmful to the family and the community. And again, we have that exploding all over our country. Every one of our social ills is in greater proportion in the veteran population, not only drug and alcohol abuse, but divorce and child abuse and homelessness and certainly suicide, the horrible suicide rate and uh, criminal behavior. So all of these things are as if the war came home and we didn't take it out of our veterans, but it's still raging inside them and they acted out at home. So at our retreats, we've studied the world warrior traditions and we have identified the steps of warrior return that uh, cultures the world over did, sometimes in this exact order, and what we do at our retreats is we do every one of these steps and we guide our uh, troops and veterans through the steps uh, with intensive experiential exercises and rituals such that we are laying down the roadmap for the warrior's return journey in their hearts and minds. And there are six steps that we have found that, again, are universal, found around the world, uh, always based in spiritual traditions and supported by spiritual teachings and practices. The first step uh, is, as Moses said, isolation and tending. In the, the Plains Indians used to have what they called a the new warrior teepee right in the middle of the camp for uh, warriors who came back from their first battle. And they would go into that same kind of isolation. They would be in the teepee quiet and waiting or crying or yelling or whatever they needed to do. They were tended by the priests and priestesses, the medicine people, and the elder warriors. That's one of the jobs of an elder warrior is to tend the younger warriors. And many of our elder warriors do that spontaneously um, through the life cycle. So isolation and tending is the necessary first step after service. Then uh, after that comes uh, what we call the affirmation of destiny, affirmation of your warrior destiny. In some traditions, uh, the warriors weren't let out of isolation until they could say calmly, deeply, In spite of the many hardships of this journey, I choose to be a warrior in my people's service and I will accept the suffering and the hardships that come with this. Uh, So we look for a deep acceptance, not a no, 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 I hate it, I refuse this identity and not a yeah, 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 give me more, I want to kill. Both of those are out of balance. But... Yes, I affirm that there is a warrior journeys through life, that I am on it, that I've been reshaped for it, and it has to be a spiritual journey, and I accept it. That's the second step. And the third step is purification and cleansing. As we said, Moses ordered it. But again, cultures all over the world have done it, and they have had intensive forms of purification. The Native Americans had sweat lodges and vision quests. Um, Moses said, bathe in the rivers every day and burn your, or uh, purify your brass weapons in the fire. So they use fire and and water. Um, Other cultures sometimes use the earth and air. Uh, Some African warrior tribes buried their warriors up to the neck in the earth and left them there for a long time so that the war poisons would leach out into Mother Earth. Any way it's done, purification is necessary, and of course our Uh, Our dominant religions all give purification practices that we could use. Confession, baptism, the Jewish Yom Kippur holiday, they can all be models for purification. After purification and cleansing comes storytelling. Now, people like you and me, um, (laughs) clergy and counselors tend to hear most of the stories. Or veterans tell stories to each other in their veteran groups. Um, but traditionally, and again around the world, stories were told to everybody, that the individual warriors' stories were the legends and the mythology of the culture. They didn't get it from Hollywood. They weren't mass-produced stories uh, that were very inaccurate, but the warriors were really expected to tell their stories openly and honestly and that people would honor them and learn from them and become educated in the way of warriors, and so they would discourage warfare because they knew how horrible it was. Hmm. So everybody shares the stories, witnesses them, and carries them together. (laughs) Then, the next step is what I call restitution in the community. Now, the community, and you rightly began our conversation with the importance of community. At this point, the community turns to the warrior after the warrior has told his stories, and the community says... You're my warrior. You served in my name. I paid for your bullets. You were there to protect me. Even if I don't believe in the cause or the war you fought in, I honor you as a warrior who is willing to give your life for my protection. So I willingly take your story on as my own and I will carry it with you forever. It's my story too, not
2: yours. A
3: big part of what we call PTSD are the veterans collapsing in the pain because they have to carry their stories alone and they feel completely responsible for what happened rather than they were serving the nation. And it's the nation's responsibility. So that's part of restitution is the civilians turning to the warriors and saying, I'll carry your load with you. Give it to me. The other half is the warriors having to say to life, I harmed you. I need to practice atonement. I need to change my identity by becoming a life giver and a life sustainer. So many of our veterans go into volunteer service of some kind or public service as first responders. Many of them help other young veterans. Uh, Many of them uh, get involved in charity work. And uh, in the trips that we lead back to Vietnam every year, we always do serious philanthropic projects. We've built two schools in the Mekong Delta in very poor communities. We uh, gave an Agent Orange Rehabilitation Center, a solar heating and hot water system. Uh, We've built homes for disabled veterans or for Agent Orange victims. Um, We've given water buffalo and sampans to impoverished peoples and many other things. But we always do this where our veterans served. We always have our veterans gift the community whatever we're giving and make speeches of um, reconciliation and love. And our veterans feel like they come home in Vietnam in ways they never came home in the United States. And they are welcomed and loved and thanked and honored by the Vietnamese people uh, to an extraordinary degree. Again, more than they've ever received in the United States. But most importantly, they experience themselves, it changes their identity. They experience themselves as uh, as life givers and protectors and preservers. They're actually fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy that um, they that shall be of thee shall rebuild the old waste places. Thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So that's what we do with our vets, and that's how they feel afterwards. And then if we're doing it, we do it stateside, of course. When we do it in Vietnam, the the Vietnamese children just crawl all over our vets and hug them and kiss them and call them, you know, uncle and aunt and grandma and grandpa who came from America to give me a school. Hmm. And when you're being treated that way, it's very hard to hate yourself anymore. Yeah. Profound healing happens. uh, and scouts honor uh we've by now we've I've led 15 journeys there so I've taken over 200 Americans and everyone comes home transformed and many of them come home with no more PTSD they're sleeping like babies and they're really at peace and they become mm-hmm. warriors for peace for the rest of their lives it's mm-hmm. extraordinarily beautiful and it works
4: mm-hmm.
3: So in our retreats, that's the big picture in Vietnam. In our retreats, we do all of these six steps of return. We have exercises to do each one, and we're laying down this ideal warrior's journey home so that our veterans can carry it home and practice it wherever they go, hopefully for the rest of their days, rather than collapsing in the wound.
0: Right. Thank you, Ed. Yeah, this is very, very moving and so profound, you know, and, and touching into places that we don't like to talk about because it's mm-hmm. real hard. And you're right. right; we're we're all involved with this, you know, as yes. as communities, as a nation.
3: Yes, and. Um one of the reasons our warriors are alienated and turning and becoming violent uh, and turning the violence against themselves is cuz they don't feel that from us mm-hmm. they're begging civilians to become involved they see that not only is our is our politics crazy and we all see that but they're really upset that military service and the wars are not major political issues they're not being discussed or debated Everybody says we need more veteran benefits, but that's just political jargon. Nobody's talking about the wars or why we're in them, and the veterans want us to. The military wants us to.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I work on military bases um, quite extensively, um, usually but not always with the chaplain corps. Uh, mm-hmm. They are the ones who want spiritual training and want to bring spiritual practices to our troops. and. Um, Again, scouts honor. I've been with command chaplains, uh, uh, colonels, and I've been with commanding generals behind closed doors, and in private they admit that they don't believe in these wars, they hate them, they don't want to send their troops there, uh, but they can't do anything about it, they can't stop it, they have to follow orders, and they don't have the power to question uh, the use of the military. And they are begging for military-civilian partnerships for all of us to become involved so that we determine as a democracy whether and when and how they're used. So one of the things we can do for veterans is care enough to become politically involved. I'm not telling people what to believe. Only please become involved because uh, our military and vets are really hurting without our uh, unity and advocacy for them, and they can't do it for themselves. There has mm-hmm. to be uh, healing between the military and civilian segments of our population.
0: Right. So get in the conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. What happens, um, you've said some things about you know when people come back from the trips the, to Vietnam, that they lose those PTSD symptoms and they sleep well. What are some other things that you've seen, either from the trips or the people that come to your uh, workshops here in the U.S.? What's happening uh, in their lives?
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well, uh, Memorial Day is coming up, so let's use that as an example in yeah. point. Uh, one of the, another part of our mission uh, in getting civilians involved, getting the country more involved, is that we – Strongly encourage faith communities to have special service, special liturgy and ritual around Memorial Day and Veterans Day. These are our two, in our culture, uh, the two sacred holidays of war, war and warfare and warriors. And, of course, they're usually patriotic displays. Memorial Day is the first day of summer. People go on picnics and take long weekends. And uh, Veterans Day, you know, and time for, to go shopping sales, that hate this, and many of them, some of them go to parades, uh, but they don't necessarily like the pe- blind patriotism, they don't want to be used as patriotic tools, and many of them don't go at all, but they hide out instead, they stay indoors, they go camping on their own, they stay in the basement, and that's terrible, okay. so restoring the original meaning of those two days is really important. Now, Memorial Day is coming up in um, the end of this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, our Soldiers Heart, Kate and I will, and some of our staff will be leading a four-day intensive Memorial Day weekend retreat. And uh, one of the main issues that haunt our veterans and troops the most are the dead and their relations with the dead. The The friends and comrades that they've lost, that they lost in in combat. Of course, the deaths since combat, the suicides. Um, Many of our vets have lost more friends to suicide than they did in the combat zone. Uh, And, of course, also the lives they took. So many veterans um, have nightmares of combat and see the faces of the dead their own and the other side over and over and over again. And so proper, this gets to the spirituality, necessary and proper grieving for the fallen, praying for their souls, reconciling with them, helping them travel wherever souls go after the mortal life, whatever somebody's belief system is, uh, and uh, gaining peace inside ourselves with that soul, whether they were our friend uh, who we had to, you know, help bury, or whether they were an enemy life we took. So, so we do practice. Um, we have a lot of Memorial Day c- uh, ceremonies and rituals. Uh, we call out the names of the dead. We tell their stories, so their stories live on. We. Um, In Vietnam, I learned this from the Vietnamese. The Vietnamese create, uh, every Vietnamese household has a a sacred altar. Even the poorest, humblest little hut will have an altar to their ancestors in the middle of the hut as their primary furniture item. And the Vietnamese believe that the soul lingers here near their loved ones, For a hundred years, four generations before it moves on into the spirit world. And so they're always talking to their ancestors and praying for them. And they go to the altar and they believe that the ancestor's soul will meet them at the altar. And so they're not haunted by nightmares because they're honoring their dead fully. And they have holidays like ours, but the whole country closes down. They don't have sales in the shops Everybody goes to the churches and the pagodas and the cemeteries and does do these services. So, uh, as one of many examples, I have used building an altar and honoring the fallen with many uh, of uh, our warriors who are not at peace with the deaths. I have them build altars for their own fallen. If they're bothered b- uh, by a death that they caused, I have them p- uh, build an altar to the soul of their the fallen foe. And scouts honor um, many veterans who have been haunted by nightmares. Uh, we say, ask that soul to not disturb you in your sleep, but instead meet me at the altar and mm-hmm. go to the altar and pray for the person there and talk to them there and tell them whatever you need to say. Um, and keep doing it until uh, you, ex- feel and experience a spiritual connection and the nightmares fade. And many veterans have practiced this and have healed their nightmares and sleep like babies now because they've properly honored the dead at their altars and in consciousness and also um, often created memorials for them. Again, including for uh, people who were enemies uh, during a war but honoring them and uh, giving them a memorial uh, stateside or in their own country uh, to remember them as good human beings who believed in what they had to do. And it Mm -hmm. was tragic that we met this way, but let go of their anger and hate and open to loving compassion for all. Confucius said, pray for your enemies that all will be well with them. Mm -hmm. Buddha said, hatreds never cease by hatred in this world, only by love they cease. So we practice, we teach these lessons, we practice them, and they work.
0: Right. Ed, our time is um, up, but I want to thank you so much for the work that you and Kate are doing, and I know there are probably many people that are working with you. And thanks for bringing this um, model of soul healing and this deep understanding uh, to the fore, because what you're doing is it really enriching everybody and um, and. And so grateful for the healing that's already happening for many, so many who um, you have supported, and I know it ripples out in so many ways. Thank you. Thanks for being my guest today.
3: You're so welcome, and thank you for having me. Whether it's in Evergreen, in Washington State, (laughs) or this way, I'm so happy to know you and honored to work with you and appreciate the the important uh, education that you've helped spread today and always. Thank you you
0: yeah, thank you so much that I, I appreciate it. And yeah. listeners, if, if you want to learn more about what Ed um, does, go to soldiersheart.net. There's no apostrophe in it, it's just soldiersheart.net and you can see um, all that he and Kate are doing. So thanks again for listening with us today and for all of us, thanks everybody for being a part of this recovery community and uh, recovery is a, a big deal and a deep deal, and a big topic, and and a big engagement in life. And so thank you all for doing the work. God bless, we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery.
2: Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time. For down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org.